Welcome to Cannabis Science Today. This is the podcast where we explore cannabis as a plant and how it can be used as medicine. My name is Emily Feda, and I will be your guide as we converse with scientists, physicians, and clinicians about cannabis and other psychedelics. We are back for season three, and the show is continuing to evolve. I really believe in taking a holistic approach to understanding cannabis and psychedelic medicine, and all of the elements matter. Everything from the soil and the pesticides used to cultivate plants, to how these medicines affect our body chemistry, to the set and setting in which we use and integrate this medicine and these experiences. I've been listening to your feedback, and in this upcoming season, we're still going to be digging into the chemistry and biology of these plants, but we're also going to be spending more time exploring the psychological realm so we can better understand how these medicines affect our brain and our behavior. So stay tuned. I really hope this season pushes the edges of how we understand cannabis and psychedelic medicine. As always, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to us on Instagram, cannabis underscore science underscore today. Um, Also, I'd love to hear from you via a five-star review on iTunes if you're enjoying the show. And finally, if you have any guest suggestions or you just want to say hi, you can email me, cannabisciencetoday at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'm so excited to share this upcoming season with you. Today we are featuring Dr. Max Lund, who is a professor at Arizona State University and an expert on cannabis pesticides and toxicology. In this episode, we talk about pesticide regulations in the cannabis industry and the inconsistencies that exist between different states and different markets where it's been legalized. We also dig into the potential connection between exposure to insecticides and seizures that Dr. Loon has observed in his research. So this is such a critical topic because we know that so many people with neurological disorders, such as epilepsy, are using cannabis as medicine. And we also are learning that pesticide exposure can result in adverse neurological effects in humans. So how do we navigate this? Dr. Lone gives some really good recommendations for developing new regulations that will make cannabis safer for patients. And he also just gives some general tips for shopping for cannabis under the current system. Well, Max, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Cannabis Science Today. And I'd love to start by hearing how you would summarize your scientific journey and how it led you to working with cannabis. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, Emily. So uh, I'm uh, a toxicologist by training, and I have been uh, doing uh, toxicology uh, throughout my uh, academic training and also my professional career. So uh, when I first started uh, in graduate school, um, I was actually very interested in both the uh, food and environmental contaminants that can cause, that can affect human health. So things like uh, pesticide, micro, uh, mycotoxin, which is uh, the uh, toxin can produce by uh, many fungus. Uh, and I'm also interested in, you know, specific diseases, you know, such as neurodegeneration. So uh, this is some of the, this is uh, one of the conditions that people would uh, use uh, cannabis for, you know, like uh, uh, for medical use. And uh, after I uh, finished my graduate training, uh, I was become very interested in this specialized field in toxicology known as predictive toxicology. So predictive toxicology is a field that uh, combines computation, data science, and high throughput screening uh, to predict the toxicity of thousands of uh, uh, pollutants that are found in the environment. And because of that training that I have uh, in the US EPA, uh, I was uh, subsequently uh, offered a position uh, in the California Environmental Protection Agency. So uh, partly because of my toxicology training and also partly because of my specialized training in predictive toxicology. So I was on the team uh, of scientists that established the action level for pesticide residue in, in the California legal market. Uh, and at the same time, uh, I also uh, published a paper during my time at the California Environmental Protection Agency to look at uh, the potential mixture effects of cannabinoid 
uh, with a insecticide uh, contaminant known as um, copyrifos. Um, and uh, after that, uh, last year, uh, I was offered a position in the Arizona State University, and now I have got my own research program, and uh, I'm developing some new uh, study to look into the potential uh, human health effects of uh, cannabis contaminant. Mm -hmm. So this is you know, how I got interested into this field. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So definitely, I really want to dive into your, your latest work on the contaminants found in cannabis. But before we go there, I am curious, when you are modeling these different, um, you know, when you're working in this field and you're, you're doing these different computer generational modeling, are you mm-hmm. looking at, so you're looking at associations between different contaminants and right. different, let's say, neurological disorders? Correct. But are you looking at um, actual causation here, like what environmental contaminants could actually cause neurological disorders, or are you more looking at just associations or correlations? Yeah. So the so uh, the work that I have been doing uh, with the computational modeling, uh, a lot of it has to do with uh, biomedical literature, text mining. Mm. Uh, the thing that the information that uh, I use is from the biomedical literature that look into specific uh, environmental contaminants. So contaminants such as, you know, uh, copyrifos, the pesticide that I've, the insecticide that I've talked about, uh, paraquat, the herbicide, you know, like uh, magnesium uh, metals. Uh, depending on the pollutant, uh, they are stronger, uh, that some of the, the, the contaminants have uh, stronger uh, evidence of support uh, for their cause, for their uh, causational world in causing uh, certain diseases. Now, the problem that we have though is that uh, no one have ever uh, conduct a study. You know, something that I'm actually very interested to, to do at ASU to look into how the combination of cannabinoid to some of the contaminant. How uh, how do they uh, use in combination? You know, whether or not you know it would be causing certain uh, neurological effects or particular, become particularly dangerous to a certain uh, uh, medical cannabis user. Mm. So, so uh, uh, that, that basically is the, uh, that basically some of my, my research program here at ASU. Great. So when we're looking at cannabis and in some of your latest research, um, what are the major categories of contaminants that are found in cannabis and which one should we be most concerned about as patients and consumers? Yeah, so cannabis is actually um, a pretty interesting topic, you know, like from a toxicology point of view. Uh, because cannabis is just like any other, you know, agricultural commodity is also uh, something that would consume, uh, be consumed by human. It, uh, people can get exposed to a combination of food and environmental contaminants that they would uh, be exposed to in other food commodity or in the environment. I can give you a couple of examples. So, for example, uh, cannabis, growing cannabis is is like growing other agricultural crops. You know, there are pest problems. So, uh, uh, you know, for those of you who have some experience with growing cannabis, you might have heard about uh, pop uh, 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 insect like spider mites or fungus like powdery mildews. Right. So those are very common. Yeah. Those are very, very common, common in cannabis. Absolutely. Exactly. So people do use uh, insecticide uh, to control uh, 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 spider mite, you know, like copyrifos is one of them. Uh, and also uh, fungus like uh, such as uh, uh, mycobutinum. Now, one thing to, uh, that's important here, that is important here is that uh, right now, there is no pesticide that are regulated for use in cannabis because of this uh, uh, federal illegal status, something that we can talk a little bit more later. But, you know, like uh, these are the pesticides that uh, has been found uh, that in many cases are used in, uh, that in all cases, you know, like uh, based on the federal regulation are used illegally. So, so pesticide is definitely, you know, one of the biggest problems. Now, other category of contaminants include microbes, you know, such as E. coli or salmonella. And uh, a microbe like this, you know, you would also see it in other uh, regulatory uh, or other regulation of food commodity. So a lot of the 
uh, uh, cannabis uh, uh, regulation, you know, still to, you know, like the lack of information in this field, uh, many of them are adopted from the food regulation. So, so these are pretty common problem in food safety as well. This kind of mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, these microbials, those are often introduced in the post, um, post-harvest production or, or after the cannabis is grown and it's being handled by the workers. Is that true? So, for example, there are a couple of fungal, uh, fungal uh, species that are being regulated. Uh, uh, during my master's degree, I studied a group of uh, mycotoxin, fusarium mycotoxin. So, uh, fusarium uh, 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 species uh, can be found, have been found in some of the cannabis uh, grown, uh, um, you know, in the field. Uh, and uh, interestingly, that actually is not one of the uh, um, contaminants that are regulated in the U.S. in all the uh, legalized market, which is quite interesting. But you're right. Uh, you know, it can be, uh, you know, microbe and mycotoxin, they can be introduced during uh, the, the agricultural uh, process. They can be uh, introduced during the, the uh, storage process. So uh, if this is a really common problem that, you know, people would encounter growing cannabis. Mm -hmm. And of course, you know, given that cannabis is not federally legal and all of the states across the country in the U.S. have different regulations, different laws when it comes to pesticide regulations. So could you talk about, um, yeah, some of the inconsistencies across states when it comes to uh, when it comes to the regulations regarding pesticides or regarding pest, regarding contaminants in general. And also, you, you also mentioned in your paper, too, that pesticide testing is optional in three, te- three states. So which three states, which three states um, have optional pesticide testing? Yeah, I can tell you a little bit about kind of the, the latest project that I'm working on. So it's a comprehensive uh, review of uh, cannabis contaminant regulation in all uh, 35 uh, states and also Washington, D.C. that have legalized uh, medical cannabis, recreational cannabis, or both. Now, uh, now, in, now, what we find in this regulation document is that uh, there's huge discrepancy in uh, how this uh, regulation are set up uh, to regulate uh, 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 this contaminant. One of the biggest contaminant uh, discrepancy that we find is actually the naming of the chemical. Uh, there are several chemicals that uh, either list under different nomenclature or they list uh, in some state as a group or as individual uh, chem or as individual chemical. So uh, what I have done is that I actually you have to use a uh, predictive toxicology tool, uh, the US EPA Come Talk dashboard, to harmonize all the uh, chemical that um, uh, 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 that are listed in all of this uh, uh, US jurisdiction. Now, what I have found uh, in this uh, 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 study is that there is a total. Uh, uh, there's a total number of 678 cannabis contaminants that are listed by all of these uh, 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 regulation documents in all of these uh, 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 U.S. jurisdiction with legal market. Now, that includes 548 pesticides, 71 solvent, 30 inorganics, which include heavy metals, and also 27 microbes and mycotoxins, as well as other uh, 19 other contaminants. So, so you can see it's a really large uh, number of contaminants that collectively all of this U.S. jurisdiction are listing in their cannabis contaminant regulation. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing about this uh, regulation is that, uh, this list is that if you look at any particular uh, uh, jurisdiction, uh, most of the jurisdiction would regulate anywhere between 40 to 100 contaminants. Now, I'm not going to name the, 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 the state that are not, that actually didn't specify, uh, their, uh, uh, their regulation, you know, or they did say, they did, didn't mention contaminant regulation at all. But I can tell you that there's a lot of discrepancy in terms right. of the number of the, uh, contaminants that are regulated and also how they are being regulated at what regulatory level. So I'll give you a couple of examples. But so, could we, 
Mm. Could I could I just interrupt? I'm just wondering because this is public information, right? Mm. In terms of where pesticide testing is optional. So, um, yeah, could could you share that with us? Because I do feel like that is really important information for listeners, just so they can be aware of that for their own safety. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's we actually, uh, you know, the focus of this work is actually not to name, you know, that particular. Uh, you know, like, uh, 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 you know, jurisdiction, you know, in terms of how they regulate their contaminants. Mm-hmm. Because I can also tell you that there is a lot of uh, 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 variation in terms of how the regulation is set up. Uh, mm-hmm. There are states that actually, uh, you know, more, there's a large number of states that actually have uh, licensed uh, testing labs. Some states are actually, uh, you know, have their own uh, individual testing labs. But uh, we actually go, go into great length in terms in just to, you know, like characterize how many uh, contaminants that they are actually listing. And I think the key point here, and, and we want, we hope, you know, like to, to communicate in this study, is that uh, with this cannabis, uh, you know, industry, you know, that are, that are, grow, that are expected to expand in a, uh, you know, like uh, uh, hereafter, you know, in the next, you know, like in the next uh, few years and decades, uh, we think that it's about time that we probably should have some, you know, uh, a national level guideline. I think that is something that I'm missing, you know, mm-hmm. because you can. So how could how could listeners get this information? Um, because I'm sure people are listening to this right now and saying, "Is mm-hmm. my or, or, is my cannabis? I, I live in whatever state. Is my cannabis being tested for pesticides?" So how can people find out that information? Yeah, I can tell you, uh, you know, kind of the uh, methodology that we use to find out those information. And this is actually quite interesting because uh, individual state actually, uh, that should show a lot of discrepancy in how they make the information available to, uh, uh, you know, like uh, to the public. Mm, right. So we have data that actually listed uh, audio restriction, that listed all of the information uh, on their on their website, you know, mm. like basically show exactly what are being regulated, you know, like how they are uh, being, uh, how what level they're being regulated, and there are also uh, 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 there also say that you know they don't make that information available in the website, but we can actually go through it uh, usually through the state uh, regulation uh, uh, document. You know, oh, you, okay. So actually, yeah. by going through the yeah laws or the yeah. regulations. Yeah, and then okay, the- well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. and is that um, because if you were to look at other industries, um, is mm. that standard practices to not make that information accessible to consumers? This is very unusual, actually. It's yeah. very what? It's very, un- it is very, very unusual. unusual. Okay, yeah. okay, so- because that does seem in terms of consumer activism, patient activism, that we should have access to yeah. this knowledge. Yeah. And also it has to do with have to do with the uh the uh who is responsible for regulating it too, right? Mm-hmm. Because um for example, uh in the um um in in uh um, the US Department of Agriculture, they have a pesticide reporting program, they pesticide data program. Mm-hmm. And basically what it does is that it's actually keep track of uh many agricultural commodity. That are being uh, consumed in the uh, U.S. market, and then they conduct over ten thousand sampling and testing. You know, like uh, they collect all the data every year, and then they are surveying the uh, pesticide residue level uh, for over four hundred pesticides. Mm-hmm. Now, the only agricultural commodity that are missing on this list is cannabis. Okay. So, data availability, data accessibility. And also, data availability is uh, severely lacking in this field. And in fact, uh, for us to have any sensible uh, national uh, uh, guideline on uh, cannabis contaminant, the first thing that you know I would recommend is to uh, start collecting data and make this information available for how, mm-hmm. what kind of contaminant that we are dealing with in the market. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that does seem. Right. This it seems like a super critical part of creating. Well, it seems like the first step in creating um, medication for 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 patients that is yeah. safe and trustworthy is um, first of all yeah. making you know even making this information available. 
Yeah, because I can also add one more point about the uh, pesticide, uh, about the contaminant listing that I have found. Mm-hmm. Because uh, regulating a large number of contaminants doesn't mean that uh, the regulation is protecting public health. The reason why is uh, for this uh, 678 cannabis contaminant, there is a large number of con- uh, uh, contaminants that we find that we just... Uh, uh, we just wouldn't expect uh, to see in cannabis at all. Like for example, right. there are five states that are listing the, uh, I think you probably have heard about it too, the uh, US EPA uh, tolerance and, and exemption for uh, pesticide chemical residue in food. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, some people cite the document as the uh, CFR uh, 4180, which stands mm-hmm. for uh, mm-hmm. Code of Federal Regulation uh, Title 40 Part 180. Mm-hmm. And on that list, for those five days, basically they say that, okay, we are going to take the lowest uh, tolerant values for food commodity, and then we would take it as the action value for uh, regulating pesticide in those days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 405 uh, pesticides, that is a lot. But if you actually go through the list, you would find that uh, many of the level, if you actually find the lowest value uh, for food commodity, Many of those values are actually uh, developed for, you know, like product like eggs or milk. You know, it definitely is not relevant to cannabis that, uh, uh, you know, mostly used in, in much smaller quantity. And also uh, many of them are used by inhalation. And also another thing is that sometimes people would mistaken this uh, value as, some, uh, at a health, as, uh, as a human health benchmark. It actually is not. It mostly uh, has to do with uh, proper production process. We re- they really shouldn't uh, see that level of pesticide residue in those particular commodity. Mm-hmm. So you know, like one thing that you know, like we also need to think about is uh, uh, how to develop a sensible uh, uh, program to regulate contaminants. Mm-hmm. Because you know, like along this, you know, like sometimes not only it doesn't make much sense from a public health point of view, also it's just impossible to enforce. Right. Right. That's another thing to consider. And then what also is, because of course, within cannabis, we have a wide range of products. There are edibles. um, Mm. So there are food products being sold in dispensaries, but also, you know, still a major part of the market is cannabis flour that Mm. is smoked and inhaled. So why does, uh, why do products that are, you know, consumed through inhalation need to be regulated differently? than a product that is processed and, and you know, sold as food. Yeah, there are two, uh, I can see there are two main reasons. Uh, the first reason is, uh, it really is a toxicology uh, reason. Uh, for the contaminants that are sold as food, uh, you know, like if we, if the, the, if we are consuming those uh, in time, you know, the product would go through the GI system, right? It would be absorbed, you know, like through the GI tract. And basically what happened is whatever uh, uh, substances that we got exposed to, it would first go into the liver uh, and then uh, and then it would go into the bloodstream. On the other hand, for the in, for the uh, inhalation uh, uh, for the inhalation product, uh, after the combustion process, which we know fairly little about, you know like uh, how the contaminants would behave you know in the combustion and the pyrolysis process. Uh, it would basically go directly into the bus stream through the right. Lung. So you don't have that extra filter of going through the liver to um, remove some of the toxins. Yeah, before it goes of, into the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in terms of the toxicology, uh, different route of exposure uh, that make uh, that is that is uh, uh, that 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 basically change the uh, the effects of the contaminant drastically. Now, another thing to consider here is also what kind of product we are regulating, right? Because we talk about uh, pesticide, we talk about metals, we talk about uh, micro and mycotoxin, but you know, there's also one also solvent, right? For the inhaled product, you know, the the, the solvent con- contamination is a concern, particularly uh, if the consumer uh, are unknowingly exposed to uh, some illegal cannabis, and uh, many of them, uh, uh, you know, there are report that uh, people have found some harmful illegal uh, solvent in illegal product. 
So that's why I would say, you know, for inhaled product and for the uh, edible, you know, there also should be a different consideration for what to regulate as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Well, let's dive more into your research paper, uh, regulatory status of pesticide residues in cannabis and the implications um, to medical use in neurological diseases. So it sounds like this research goes even a step further and you're looking at these insecticides and pesticides and, and trying to illustrate potential connections between contaminants and cannabinoids and seizures. So I'm wondering, how did you go about um, measuring these connections and what did you learn? Yeah, so we actually just uh, got a paper, you know, like accepted, uh, you know, like in the Journal of Current Research in Toxicology. And uh, basically what we set out to do in this study uh, is to look into the problem that, uh, you know, right now we have a lot of people using cannabis, you know, as a pharmaceutical, but uh, cannabis is not regulated in the U.S. as a pharmaceutical. So we are a little bit worried about, uh, given the popularity of medical use, you know, the uh, cannabis might introduce a susceptible patient population to harmful uh, contaminants. So basically, we, uh, uh, we uh, have done two things in this study. First is to characterize what kind of patient population might be affected by contaminants. The second is to look at how they might be uh, affected by cannabis contam- cam- contamination toxicity using a, another predictive toxicology tools known as a comparative toxical genomics database. Now, in the first part of the study, what we have done is that we go through uh, the uh, document of all the medical cannabis program uh, in the U.S. And then we go and ask uh, what kind of condition are this program uh, allowing uh, people to use cannabis for. And uh, we find that more than half of the condition listed by uh, this uh, 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 medical programs, uh, medical cannabis program in the U.S. are listing some kind of uh, uh, um, either neurological, psychiatric related, or uh, pain related uh, condition. So many of them have some kind of you know connection to uh, uh, neurological diseases. And not only that, we found that almost all uh, jurisdiction have listed uh, uh, disease that. Uh, people usually use cannabis to uh, treat uh, for movement-related uh, symptoms. So what are these diseases? They include epilepsy, uh, certain symptoms of multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's disease, and also uh, you know, any diseases that can cause seizure or plasticity. Now, the second part of this uh, study uh, to use the comparative toxical genomics database to look at the uh, connection uh, between uh, the um, pesticide contaminants that we have found in the literature and also some of the biological pathways that are linked to uh, seizure and uh, that linked to seizure. And basically what we have found here is that uh, we found that there are uh, uh, several uh, key biological pathways uh, based on the uh, uh, comparative toxical genomics database. Now the database basically is a curated literature database from um, uh, uh, from the uh, uh, from the open literature, so uh, the disease basically give us the connection between uh, the chemical to the disease and also gene to the disease. So these are all uh, uh, curated literature, and uh, uh, it doesn't imply that there is a study. And in fact, there isn't to show that this particular chemical uh, would affect the um, uh, the. Um, you know, uh, together with cannabis can have a combined effects to cause certain effects. It doesn't, but it okay. can tell you that the strength there's this uh, literature evidence available. And we do know a lot about how these genes are connected to a certain disease or certain chemical exposure. So we okay. need those connections to uh, predict uh, how certain contaminants may be more dangerous, uh, in this case, in seizure. Okay, so the biological pathways that are linked to seizures. So if mm. you have, you know, you can see what certain pesticides 
how how certain pesticides affect the biological pathways linked to seizures. Mm. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So it's possible. So it's possible that. Um, certain pesticides affect these biological pathways and, and could cause more seizures? Uh, yeah, well, so that is I mean, some I, of the I studies. Know it's, right, mm. I know it's not like so directly cause and effect, yeah, yeah. But, but it's like that's kind of um, a potential takeaway or, or something that patients could be aware of, that this pesticide is affecting this biological pathway that may or may not lead to more frequent seizures. Yeah, and and basically what this database is showing it is a prediction, right? Mm -hmm. Because uh, again, like the lack of information, that also include the lack of information in mixture toxicity. Which you know, we hope that you know, with this paper, we can uh, bring people uh, bring bring people's attention to this problem, and then we can do more research on this. But you're exactly right. You know, like this is basically allowing us to point to certain kind of pathway. I can give you a couple of examples. So uh, synaptic signaling pathway, uh, now that include a few uh, key fee synaptic uh, signaling pathway that we have found the cholinergic, dopaminergic, and also retrograde endocannabinoid signaling pathway. So mm -hmm. this pathway, not only that they are linked to their study to show that, ah, okay, there are, a certain uh, chemical exposure that you know might be uh, maybe uh, uh, related to uh, the disruption of this pathway. But one thing that are really interesting here is that if you compare the uh, human gene variants of epilepsy, uh, which uh, and then what kind of biological function are those uh, human gene variants pointing to? Many of them are also pointing to this V pathway. Um, so, so the the hypothesis that we have, you know, in this study is that, uh, what if people are using medical cannabis and then there are these, um, um, uh, in uh, pesticide contaminants, you know, in the cannabis, but because of this, you know, uh, uh, people who are using med cannabis are actually using it for medical purposes. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they are doing that actually it create a raw exposure to basically expose this patient to um, contaminants that you know, like they may be actually uh, be susceptible to. Right, right. So, yeah. And so the they, endocannabinoid receptors um, mm -hmm. in the brain are are those connected specifically? Are they those part of some of these pathways that you're discussing? Yeah, that is the retrograde endocannabinoid signaling pathway. Okay. So, okay. Uh, you know, there are also uh, free... Uh, and even uh, just to back up, sorry to interrupt, but even just to back mm. up for a moment for, for listeners who, who are not familiar, it sounds like epilepsy or, you know, a lot of these neurological disorders, Parkinson's say, like these are caused by disruptions in these specific biological pathways in the brain. Is that correct? Yeah, and the the I think the dangers that we we try to point out here is that uh, we really do not know. Uh, first of all, uh, the regulation is not in place. Uh, you know, uh, we we if we actually go to get a drug, uh, uh, you know, like in the U.S., then you would expect that you know, like you won't have you won't have you know, like exposure to contaminants like this. So, mm -hmm. so the regulation really is not in place. That is actually really dangerous. But the other part of it is that uh, just scientifically, uh, we actually do not know, you know, when people who have this kind of disease background and also people who, uh, you know, who are consuming cannabis, right? Because it's also, cannabis itself is also pharmaceutically active too. So when they use, you know, in combination with all these contaminants, how is that going to affect the patient? So mm -hmm. I think that's the, that's is the uh, the takeaway from this is that you know I think uh, we need to have more safety consideration you know right like, right yeah yeah and I guess I'm a little bit even more concerned um, regarding because of course so if we understand um, that a lot of these neurological conditions are are caused by these disruptances in in these biological pathways in the brain and then we know that the endocannabinoid receptors are involved in these pathways and that's exactly how cannabis you know affects the human body is by latching on to these endocannabinoid receptors so it seems almost like almost like directly 
place, you know, it's just like a very direct placement of these pesticides or these contaminants into those pathways or into those receptors that could cause even more of a disruption or, or even more harm to a patient than let's say a pesticide that's found in your, something you eat, you know, bag of chips or something, fruit, vegetables. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, the research that we, I, I would like to see more is, uh, like, how are these, uh, how are different medical users actually using uh, the medical cannabis for, right? What kind of condition right. uh, actually uh, are being used? And, you know, uh, for example, like the pediatric uh, patient population, you know, that, that you know, I, I just found that that one is actually one of the key populations that I'm most interested in. Uh, you know, how, how often do they use this uh, cannabis and also like how do they, uh, you know, like, like where do they get the cannabis for, you know, for, for medical use? So that, that's one area that I think, you know, like it definitely require more research. The other area, mm-hmm. of course, is the mixture of toxicology. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and we actually have two, um, two episodes, uh, one on treating, treating epilepsy with cannabis and one is specifically discussing um, epidiolex, so mm-hmm. the pharmaceutical grade version, and then one is discussing treating it with whole plant cannabis. So for listeners who are mm-hmm. interested, that's a, also a great reference point um, in terms of, yeah, understanding the different varieties that are out there. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, but, but let's get back to this paper. And so when you, when you did, when you were doing this research, what were the most common associations um, you saw and what do you think is the most, were you able to say, like, if you could, let's say you could go to the federal government right now and say, we need to regulate, you know, this top pest, the single pesticide or this, these top two pesticides um, when it, in cannabis, and, and they were to listen to you and pass, pass legislation on that, what, what would those contaminants be? What would those pesticides be? What do you think are the riskiest ones that you find in cannabis? Yeah. Um, I think the uh, contamination with uh, organophosphate pesticide uh, are very is very concerning. Could you uh, say that again? Organic phosphate. Organophosphate. Okay. Organic phosphate. Organophosphate, uh, you know, is a uh, cholinergic pesticide. So basically, in the insect, they actually uh, target the uh, cho- uh, the cholinergic pathway as well. Uh, uh, so, uh, that's why, you know, uh, it, it can kill bugs. Uh, unfortunately, it also have some, uh, uh, human toxicity. Some, uh, there's actually a lot of evidence, you know, about the potential adverse effects in human. And it's actually banned, uh, currently in California, uh, but not in the West of the U.S. So, uh, that's just one of the many. You said uh, it's currently banned in California? Uh, one of the organophosphate pesticides. Okay, but it's not banned in other states. Yeah, copyrophosphate okay. is. Uh, yeah, I think these they are still you know uh, uh, they are still uh, in the process of you know the review, but definitely in California that is you know they banned right now because uh, that actually one uh, project that I have worked on as well when I was in uh, California EPA. Uh, now the the reason why I think organo and I'm talking about organophosphate pesticide as a whole. Uh, pesticide group, you know, they're not uh, necessarily one particular pesticide. The reason why I find that this group of pesticides is, is quite dangerous is because now, first of all, uh, I'm currently working on a project to look into uh, some of the uh, pesticide, uh, some of the contaminant report, you know, like that, you know, we, uh, that, you know, like, um, you know, like, uh, 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 from the sample that you know are collected in California, we actually working with a data set of five thousand uh, 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 cannabis flower sample right now, and we found that uh, many of these uh, organo organophosphate pesticide uh, we can see it uh, in the um, uh, in the cannabis flower. And uh, now, in terms of the rate, uh, the overall contamination rate, you know, uh, that we see with the data set. Is about two uh, and a half percent, so one in forty. So that also is consistent with the uh, report that uh, the uh, California Bureau of Cannabis uh, Control is providing. It's about uh, overall fail rate that they report is about uh, cumulatively about four percent. So 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 let's just say you know it's one in forty, right? Uh, and you know you might say that okay, this way you know doesn't seem to be very high. But if you think about people using 
cannabis for recreational or medical use. Uh, they don't usually just use one cannabis for one time. Uh, and and if you're right. getting yeah, if you're getting cannabis, if you're getting uh, any medicine, let's say over the counter, you definitely do not expect. Uh, a contamination rate of one in 40. That's just not acceptable. Right, of course, of course, because this is repeated exposure. And when people are using this, especially to control seizures, they're using it multiple times per day and in pretty high doses as well. So the one in 40 is is quite significant when you think about the exposure to the substance. Yeah, and another reason why, uh, so that is the exposure part. Now, another reason why I think this group of uh, pesticides are particularly dangerous, the organophosphate pesticide, is because of its toxicity. Uh, earlier uh, in, tw- in, in 2019, I published another uh, a predictive toxicology paper. And that paper basically, I constructed a hypothetical uh, model, uh, an adverse, out- adverse uh, outcome pathway model, AOP model. And basically, that model is to ask a hypothetical question that if uh, we have, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, women of reproductive age who got uh, exposed to uh, uh, cannabinoid and, you know, the uh, in uh, the copil- the organophosphate uh, pesticide, uh, what might happen? You know, like when these two substances are, you know, like uh, co-exposed to uh, uh, people who are at the reproductive age. And what we found is that if you look into the endocannabinoid uh, signaling system, now, of course, you know, the cannabinoid would target the cannabinoid receptor, correct? But, you know, uh, co- uh, many organophosphate uh, insecticides, including copulophos, they have the property to inhibit the breaking down of the endocannabinoid uh, in the uh, P-synapse. So what the- uh, in the P-synapse. So okay. you have a post-synapse and P-synapse. And what this okay. is actually happening is that, uh, you know, uh, our body have the, uh, you know, have the uh, endocannabinoid as a, you know, endogenous substances. So it, it carries function and then you have the exogenous cannabinoid, right? The cannabinoid right. that we got exposed to. But what the pesticide is doing is that it actually can inhibit uh, the enzyme that are, uh, breaking down the endocannabinoid. So in a sense, it actually is a uh, potential, is, is, uh, is synergizing with some of the uh, uh, activity of the cannabinoid that one is consuming. So, uh, so this is actually pretty, this is actually uh, 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 pretty dangerous because like when this pathway can be disrupted, it can potentially uh, affect the uh, neural development uh, of the newborn. So that is, you know, one paper that, you know, like I published in Reproductive Toxicology in, in 2019. Uh, and, and now that we actually see that, you know, like uh, we also have this pesticide uh, that this group of pesticides that we see, you know, in the actual, uh, you know, like in the report, then I think that uh, of all contaminants, you know, if there's something that we should regulate, you know, like uh, we definitely would like to have a closer look in some of the uh, organophosphate pesticides. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And and I think that's another that's another conversation as well. And maybe you'll have more research on that too. But something that I think people consistently ask, is it safe to consume cannabis while um, while pregnant or while breastfeeding? And, and of course, you know, the answer has always, or the answer, the answer that I've gotten from different scientists is that we know that, you know, cannabis, it can pass the blood-brain barrier and, and the infant or the fetus will be exposed to it. Um, but, you know, this adds another layer to it where not only will they be exposed to the, the cannabis and the cannabinoids, but, but also to the pesticides that are potential and the contaminants that are potentially in these products. Yeah. And it, going back to the uh, question about drug safety, right? Because, you know, for, for any pharmaceutical that are uh, being used in the U.S., you know, there's a robust uh, drug safety testing and also regulatory process, right? Uh, one example is, you know, uh, the, the COVID vaccine, right, is an important medicine that have tremendous public health, you know, like application. But if we don't know that that uh, those vaccines are safe, you know, it wouldn't be allowed to use. So that's how important, you know, the 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 drug safety issue is. Uh, but you know, like with cannabis, you know, particularly, there are more interest 
in using uh, cannabis for therapeutic use. I mean, like those kind of, uh, you know, like drug safety testing also regulatory process is just not in place because, right. you know, the federal level is still being considered an illegal substances. That doesn't mean that people are not getting affected by it, right? Do you think some of these toxicology effects are more long-term? So, because, I mean, there's so many patients who are currently using cannabis um, to treat neurological conditions currently and having great results with them. And we're, we're, we're and in the media, we're collecting all of this great anecdotal data about um, cannabis's medical potential, which is completely valid and true. And that's why we have this podcast. But on the flip side of that, do you think some of these long-term side effects, or do you think some of these potential um, risks of the, the pesticides affecting the biological pathways, do you think that these could manifest in more long-term side effects for patients that they won't see for, you know, a few years, a decade? Yeah, we actually know, uh, we actually know very little about, um, you know, how for some of, for, for some, one of the reasons why, you know, like I'm using this predictive toxicology too is, is because some information are just not there, right? So you kind of have to ponder what is the gap of research is. And, and, and for instance, for some of those, uh, for, for actually for many of those contaminants, it is unclear what exact pathway are they going to target in, in, in certain human disease. Uh, so one thing, one, one research that I am hoping to do uh, in my lab is to look into, you know, these cannabis contaminants and see what kind of, uh, uh, because, you know, of course, the endocannabinoid signal pathway is also, you know, functioning in a lot of different uh, neuronal cell types. So, so the question that I would like to ask is, you know, we're actually breaking down, you know, different uh, neural, uh, different neural transmitter pathway. Uh, how would they affect each of them? Uh, the the reason why I think this is an important question is that uh, you know as, uh, we actually do know quite a bit about we actually do know uh, uh, there's some information about uh, how different pathways are responsible for uh, 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 certain neurological diseases like right? Parkinson uh, diseases you know linked to uh, dopaminergic pathway then the question become okay if people are using uh, cannabis and then the cannabis are contaminated with this pesticide. Are they going to interact with the uh, uh, dopaminergic uh, 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 signal pathway? If they are, then we need to be more careful about prescribing uh, people uh, with Parkinson's disease uh, with medical cannabis uh, until you know, like we know that you know, like what is both the pharmaceutical property of cannabis is, and also uh, we have a better handle of the contamination issue in the cannabis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, but I do wonder too because you know for some people who have refractory epilepsy, say, and there's just no other medication that they can use to treat their seizures, do you think sometimes the benefits could outweigh the potential risks associated with the pesticides affecting these biological pathways? Yeah, I think that uh, uh, I think that for uh, that there really two to answer the three questions. You know, first of all about the use of cannabis and the regulation itself. Uh, United States doesn't regulate cannabis, you know, as a drug. But uh, some other country actually regulate cannabis, you know, like as a drug. For example, Israel actually they regulate cannabis as a drug. So, and, and if you are, what you see uh, cannabis, you know, like, you know, like what kind of definition would you like to define cannabis? It's kind of, you know, like determine what kind of regulation uh, would you put onto it and what kind of public health you know, like uh, a consideration we are putting in. If people are using cannabis, you know, like for diseases, uh, for medical purposes, then I think the regulation for those, you know, like uh, therapeutic grade cannabis should be different. Uh, but right now it's just not in place in this country. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so I think, I think that is, you know, like how we, you know, like moving forward, you know, like we, we you know, like uh, cannabis being more in use, you know, like in for, uh, you know, like particularly for medical, uh, uh, for medical reason, I think, you know, we, we should have, we need to have a better handle of, you know, like the safety aspect, you know, right, of those contaminants are pretty dangerous, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Right. And I'm not suggesting that we should just settle in, 
you know, say that the co- the benefits outweigh the the risk because, of course, you know, we should, um, of course, we sh- we need to f- move forward, move towards a regulated industry because people are using this as medicine, so it needs to be regulated as medicine. Yeah, so, and also, also there's a shorter term answer to your question as well. Is that you know, if people actually want to use cannabis and you know they they you know like are worried about the contaminants, I think one useful approach uh, to it is to uh, ask about, you know, the cannabis that they use, you know, like have they actually been tested uh, for uh, uh, contaminants? Uh, because we do see there's a lot of variation, you know, between different states, you know, like in terms of how or whether they regulate ca- uh, cannabis contaminants. But even if the uh, cannabis are not required to uh, be tested for contaminants in certain states, uh, the producer can always send a sample to the analytical lab. Right. So if the if if you know like the, the medical user are uh, interested uh you know like con uh you know I like want to look into this and approach it you know like safely, I think to look at this cannabis producer and see you know what kind of contaminant testing do they have and also how frequent uh are they are this product being tested uh for contaminants. I think that would be a good thing to look into uh, for those of you who are, you know, like concerned with the safety aspect of, of medical cannabis and contaminants. Right, right. And I think that's great advice for patients um, who want to continue using cannabis as medication. And it's great advice on how to navigate the industry until we develop more consistent regulatory practices. Are there certain um, neurological disorders that are more vulnerable to pesticides in general? Um, or uh, of course, all of them. I mean, all of them are, are using these different biological pathways, or all of them are involving different biological pathways. But yeah, is there any particular one that you're you're most concerned about when you look at this data? Yeah, I personally am more interested in uh, seizure and epilepsy. Uh, uh, the reason why is uh, uh, we first of all, there's a lot of interest uh, of using. Um, um, can, uh, cannabis or in cannabis uh, product, you know, for these diseases. Uh, and at the same time, uh, if, you know, uh, people who already, you know, like uh, have, have, you know, like a uh, problem with, you know, like certain neurological poverty, they might have seizure epilepsy, you know, like have, have bothered by this uh, symptom and the medication that they use actually have uh, insecticide in it. Uh, that, 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 yeah, uh, that the outcome can be the detrimental. Uh, and, you know, on top of that, you know, a lot of people are actually using uh, cannabis uh, for pediatric uh, seizure and epilepsy. So then the question that I have is, what is the scale of this problem, right? Because like, it is, uh, because also they are FDA-approved uh, uh, cannabis-related product as well. But is there any reason, and would those products, the safety, uh, the drug safety, uh, you know, uh, consideration would be in place, but our people are actually having difficulty assessing those uh, 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 FDA approved the product. You know, that is a completely different question. But but these are the things that I think, you know, like, uh, I mean, with, with, with uh, and epilepsy and particularly with pediatric patient, you know, that is, I, I think it interests me most, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, how can we improve the safety uh, of right. the using that aspect? And uh, I didn't ask this earlier, but uh, I do think most children or most uh, p- patients with epilepsy are using oils or using tinctures um, or, or certain kind of oils rather than inhaling flour. So do you think that these, uh, you know, when you take a cannabis flower and you process it and, and tr- transform it into oil, uh, are the pesticide risks different than if you were to just consume the flour directly? Yeah, and if, yeah. Yeah, we uh, haven't looked into, uh, you know, uh, we haven't looked into that particular uh, uh, product yet, but there okay. are earlier reports to compare the pesticide contamination uh, in flour and in the extract. And the extract usually have a higher concentration of pesticide. Higher concentrations of yeah. The reason why okay. is during the extraction process, not only you are extracting the cannabinoid, you know, sometimes you're also extracting the pesticide, you know, particularly those uh, that are lipophilic. Right? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's not great news. 
because I do think those are the those are the products that are more popular with with children. So the regulation, I think the job safety consideration is uh, is is key here. I think for 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 whatever uh, for, for whatever application for whatever uh, uh, medical application, if we are using it as a uh, pharmaceutical, I think there should be a safety consideration that are in place uh, for the one that are you know like that actually can uh, we are using it to to patient. Right, and then on the other hand, you know, like if you have cannabis, that uh, you know, um, um, sometimes if you actually set an extensive list of uh, contaminants and there's no evidence that those contaminants would be there, then it also doesn't make much sense to you know, like to have such a regulation that is impossible to enforce. So I think that there's a balance there. So if we were to make a call to action for any cannabis patients, consumers, or people in the industry who are listening, what are um, your top suggestions for developing regulations to make cannabis safe medication? Yeah. Uh, I, think, uh, I think there should be a two-tier system. You know, uh, you know, on one hand, uh, monitoring information. Uh, I mean, like the, the scale of contaminant, uh, you know, like uh, issue in cannabis. I think uh, we definitely need to have, you know, uh, uh, more need to have some resources to to not only to collect those information, but also make those information available. Because if we do not know what kind of contaminant and also what kind of scale of uh, contamination we're dealing with in, in this cannabis product, different kind of cannabis product, you know, recreational products, uh, you know, medical products. It is really hard to develop uh, uh, any sensible regulation, really. So, so, so I think uh, the first call to action really is just to you know like put some you know the resources to to have a better idea of you know how this the scale of this problem is and what kind of uh, susceptible population that uh, they are uh, uh, that are affected by by the contaminant in cannabis. Uh, the second call to action, you know, like would be based on the information that we know, you know, that there got to be a more uh, uh, sensible uh, way to, uh, uh, you know, uh, so, uh, to uh, test, you know, cannabis. And also, you know, uh, you know, if, if, for example, like if you're talking about medical uh, 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 cannabis, if the people are using this uh, product, you know, like as, um, you know, like as a drug, you know, then you know a certain uh, you know then then definitely that there should be uh, a better control for the uh, manufacturing process. There got to be more uh, scrutiny in terms of what potential contaminant it would get in, right? But but it doesn't necessarily uh, you know uh, apply to all you know product. Like for example, with a water, let's say another one, one comparison that I like to have is the watermelon example, right? I mean if you get a Get a get a watermelon from 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 a grocery store. Uh, you won't have you know uh, uh, you won't have uh, people to go and take the watermelon and, and test for four hundred pesticide, right? <laughs> but uh, but you would expect that you actually get uh, uh, buy a, a a a food you know like that you know would eat you know the the agricultural manufacturing process would be in place, right? People actually know. What pesticide to use? You know like how to avoid the problem. There is clear instruction at the federal level, so that generally we expect that you get a watermelon from a grocery store is safe. So you know, right. like the regulation as a drug, and also the regulation as a conventional agricultural commodity. I think you know we need to think a little bit, uh, you know, like uh, about this and develop sensible regulation to uh, regulate cannabis accordingly. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Of course. And to wrap up here, uh, so you've mentioned a few research projects that you would like to do in your lab, but I'm wondering what's what's the top question that you have moving forward? What would you most like to learn about um, cannabis or, you know, cannabis what, when you're looking at it from a this toxic, toxicology framework? Yeah, I, I think the, the biggest question, I think, you know, like scale is a very important uh, aspect of my research. You know, that the scale of the cannabis contamination problem, right? Uh, what kind of uh, uh, susceptible patient population we need to protect, 
I think that's that's one aspect. Another, you know, uh, scale question that I have is biologically when uh, people are co-exposed to cannabinoid and different contaminants, you know, how do they interact? You know, at what cell, at what tissue, at what organ, and at what developmental stage? Uh, and then from there, you know, if we have those information, then we can be uh, more selective. You know, we can develop, you know, regulations that are more sensible uh, to protect the population that, uh, you know, like that are in need. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing all this um, research and information with us and, and with our listeners. I'm looking forward to, to getting this out there. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. It will help other people find us. Cannabis Science Today is so generously supported by the Agricultural Genomics Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit dedicated to educating the public on scientific research findings on cannabis. If you're interested in donating to this cause or sponsoring an episode of this podcast, where we research a scientific research question or theme of your choice, please contact us through agriculturalgenomics.org.